Hello, everybody, and welcome to Engage, a family gaming podcast. This is episode 113, and I am your host, Stephen Dutzman, as always. This is the official video game and board game podcast for EngageFamilyGaming.com. EFG is a website where parents like myself and my co-hosts come together to give parents and families the information they need to get their family game on. This week is a very special episode. Um, It is board game related. As those of you who are regular listeners know, we talked about video games last week. And by video games, I mean one mobile game. Because we talked about Animal Crossing Pocket Camp for a long time. So hopefully um, you enjoyed that. So, uh, But this week, I'm not joined by any of my regular co-hosts. I actually have a special guest uh, one Jen Bartlett, the board game librarian. Um, you're quite a star in the uh, local Connecticut news area um, because you um, are doing a thing at your library where you are letting people take out board games. Yes, thanks for having me on. It's And it was nice to finally meet you. Was it for the first time at PAX? So or had we met before? Kind of. Like, all right, so we bumped into each other at the Connecticut Festival of Independent Games at Tabletop Shop a handful of months back. Um, But it was very brief. I was in the middle of a demo and had, like, four appointments stacked up after that, and you were really only there for a little bit. So you recognized the logo, I'm guessing, on my hat and said hi. I recognized you. Um although I had no idea that you were from Connecticut, so I was surprised that you had traveled so far. Um, and then, you know, we actually met officially for the first time at PAX Unplugged. Go figure, yep. we both live in Connecticut, and we met for the first time in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's how networking works, folks. Yeah, it's all hustle. True. It is. So, um, before we get too much farther, I would like to take a moment to thank everybody for listening. And we do hope your games have been great. Uh, we want to make our podcast more interactive, so please feel free to reach out to us on social media or email us at efgpodcast at engagefamilygaming.com with any comments, questions, or topic suggestions. Um, it's almost game of the year time, folks, so I would love to hear your games of the year, both video games and board games. Uh, that'll be fun. So this week, we're going to go around the horn. We're actually going to talk, a, we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into PAX Unplugged. I know a couple of weeks ago, Linda and I kind of went into things. A little bit um, on our ride home, Um, but we're going to go into a little bit of a deeper dive, I think, talk about some of the other games that we played, and then after that, uh, we'll take a little break, and then I'm going to talk to Jen about how that crazy operation she has operates, because I used to uh, manage a blockbuster video, and so renting out videos and video games was complicated enough Some of these board games have hundreds of pieces and you're just handing them out to the public, um, which is mind-boggling to me from a logistical standpoint. So we're going to talk about that and, you know, all the other stuff, too. You know, not just challenging the minutiae of your work, but also it's got to be exciting to do such a cool program and to have made that work. So, um, yeah, that's what we're doing, folks. So um, let's talk about PAX Unplugged. Um, People have heard some of my opinions because um, I talked about it on our ride along podcast on the way home. Jen, what'd you think? We had an excellent time. I, you know, we kind of went in with not super high expectations. Just, I, I think because some of the events came out really last minute, and yeah, um, 
I mean, there really wasn't like a demo schedule. So we walked in on Thursday, like 12 o'clock, and it was just a breeze. I don't know what your experience, were you there right away with um, Restoration? Were you there at 10 a.m. on Thursday? So I wasn't there on Thursday. We came in late Friday night because of the day job. Um, Linda, my uh, one of my writers, is a school teacher. So, okay. oh, and she yes, just Friday. couldn't yeah. get any time off, um, you know, around this time. It's really tough, as you can imagine. So, yeah. um, you know, I could have maybe gotten the time off, but I didn't want to push it. So we just drove up on Friday evening. So I was only there for two days. Um, okay. My understanding is that Friday was pretty steady, but it wasn't insane. Um, but the the as far as you you had mentioned like the event schedule and like the panels and all that being announced kind of late i mm. 100% agree with that i was taken by, aback by how late things were um and i think a lot of that is just because it was the first time oh, um yeah. you know like pax east they've been doing that at this point it's like clockwork they know when the events are scheduled um well in advance and you know they got to print up that big uh that big book um, and also it's, there are more things happening, you know, they have to really manage a yeah. lot more panels and game shows, etc. Um, so I think as PAX Unplugged grows, especially when it's not competing with BGGCom, the board game yeah. geek convention, I think it's going to be bananas next year. Um, at which point then they'll have more panelists because they, you know, companies won't have to divide themselves up. Um, so, so you got there, so you did you guys go up on Wednesday night, or how'd you get, like, you know, what, what was your general experience like? Oh, we, I misspoke, we left Friday morning, so we got there Friday at, like, 12-ish after getting to our hotel. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and I've been to that convention center before for a library-related event, and it's pretty. It was pretty. It's pretty easy to navigate. Very clean, I thought. Um, yeah. And it's huge. having been, it's yeah, absolutely have, massive. The Philadelphia yeah. Convention Center is uh, in a fairly decent area of town too, which is good. Um, yeah. But having been to Gen Con three times, you know, we walked in on Friday expecting it to be like Gen Con level insanity, and the fact that we were able to almost right away sit down and try stuff. We were surprised about that. Um, I mean, a pleasant surprise, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. A huge pleasant surprise. And I think that was our favorite part of the whole con, really, was being able to sit down and try stuff and not have to, like, elbow people out of the way just to, sure. like, even look at a new game. Um, that was that was good. It was I, We had a very positive experience. Great. So... Um, I mean, what was the, so what was the first game you guys played? I, I mean, I always love asking people that because, you know, when going to big conventions, because, you know, sometimes the, you know, was it the first thing you saw, uh, or was it a, um, you know, was, did you have a specific game in mind? Um, I had been contacted by Eagle Griffin earlier in the week about okay. stopping by the booth. Uh, they had a demo, an early preview of the Scarlet Pimpernel, which is coming out on Kickstarter in January. And he invited us to come on over. And I think that was probably the first one that we played. Okay. And had an excellent time playing it. Um, of course, with the IP, it being based on a book, I was like, woo 
and I've read the Scarlet Pimpernel. Um, so that we had a guy was really nice, Ronald, and played a couple of rounds. We we had heard from a couple of um, people who were demoing games that people were squatting too long okay. and playing full games. I don't know if you heard a lot of the same thing or experienced it when you were over at Restoration, people playing a full game. Well, fortunately, um, the I'm I'm notoriously bad at demoing games. Um, <laughs> you know, so because I I don't I either give like a quick elevator pitch and gloss over all the unimportant stuff or I sit and like teach you the whole thing. Um, yeah. and so when Linda and I volunteered to work with Restoration Games, largely so that we would have better access to the facility, um, and you know, I wanted to support Rob and Lindsay, um, at least in some way. Um, but the I specifically asked to not be placed in a demo area, so instead they just uh-huh. put me in in the sales booth. So okay. I was I was just hawking games. Um, you know, fortunately there were games I believed in, so you know oh, I yeah. wasn't you know I wasn't being asked to do something that I wouldn't feel comfortable doing anyway. Um, but I just we they had a separate demo area where there was a table where they were actually just encouraging people to play full games, um, and so. Uh, the good news is all three of the games that Restoration brought were quick games, so playing a full game wasn't really, you know, it's not like it was an, you know, Twilight Imperium kind of thing. Oh. Oh. So, um, so that, so I, I, I did see some of that, um, especially in the front where, like, Stuff Fables was and, you know, things like that. People were really, you know, like the Fallout game, people were really trying their hardest to uh, get as much out of that game as they could. Um, yeah. Not that I can specifically blame them. Um, it is pretty cool, but uh, you know, it, <laughs> I mean, you can only you can only keep people in line for so long. Um, oh, yeah. So the Scarlet Pimpernel, based on the book, like, what are you doing in this game? Because I truthfully had never heard of it, and I haven't read the the novel, so you'll have to forgive me. I am not a librarian. I, um, so I'm a, uh, so what, what does one do in the Scarlet Pimpernel game? Uh, so it's, um, French Revolution, you are playing as, not helpers to the Scarlet Pimpernel, um, but helping him do missions, it's very mission-based. Okay. It's got this very cool, semi-cooperative flavor to it, but also not being semi-cooperative. It's a worker placement game and much lighter than we thought it was going to be. Eagle Griffin has a lot of very heavy heavy, heavy games. Yeah, that's kind of what I think of when I think of Eagle Griffin. I think of games that are kind of a little bit outside of our target audience. But, um, you know, so it's interesting to hear them like, are we talking, like, Calliope Games light, or are we talking just a little bit lighter than their normal stuff? We're probably talking, like, I'm looking at our shelves. Um, terms of like a, well, yeah, definitely not Calliope level. Okay. Light, and definitely not, like, Lisboa. I mean, if you've been following, like, Lisboa or any of the tall, the okay. games. So not like- not that bananas. No. So maybe medium. Okay. Medium Which is still like a medium weight game is still, I mean, a medium weight game for them 
is still pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. Um, but Eagle has a couple, well, like Defenders of the Realm would probably fall in a nice niche for a lot of your listeners um, and people who follow what you do. Um, and then Dime? No, they're not diamonds. For sale? They might do for sale. Okay. Um, but, yeah, a lot of heavier games is really what I think they're known for. Yeah. So it's a worker placement game during the French Revolution, and you really enjoyed it. So yeah. is it for sale now? Is it going to Kickstarter soon? or Kickstarter, January. Um, I don't think we got a price point on it. But their component quality is out of out of this world. They really hit, I mean, component quality, the cardboard thickness is just, I'm going to use a word you used earlier, bonanza. Um, yeah, good, good game. Um, good. Yeah, how about you? What was the first thing you played? When I had an opportunity to play, the first thing I did is I actually went to the Quick, Simple, and Fun Games booth. Oh, yeah. Um, and I played Muse, um, which okay. I talked a, l- a little bit um, on the last show. Well, actually, truthfully, the first thing I did is I ran over to the uh, to the Cool Stuff, Inc. booth and got a selfie with uh, Evan Irwin. Um oh. I don't know if you know who he is. No, I don't. So he's the guy that does the magic show, um, which is a Magic the Gathering show. Uh, he used to work for Star City Games, and now he's, you know, big dude over at uh, Cool Stuff. Um, and I've been a huge fan of his content for a super long time, and I saw him. I did not realize how tall he was. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> he is okay. a very, very big dude. Um, and so I was like, I got to get a picture so I can send it to my brother. So that's the very first thing I did. Um, if anybody that wants to see uh, me, I am relatively tall, uh, standing next to a giant human being. Um, you can get a picture. Uh, you can check out my Instagram and uh, take a look at me and Evan Irwin. But um, the first game I played was Muse, and I really liked it. Have you played it? Did you play it while you were there? No, we didn't. Um definitely on our radar but i think the only quick simple fun i feel like i'm getting it the combination wrong um economy coaching so the only quick simple and fun game you were talking we were talking about quick simple and fun the the only game that you played from them was economy koji oh is that that two-player game yes yep um, I sat next to two people that were playing that game, and it looked super fascinating. Um, but admittedly, I did not play it because I couldn't figure out how to pronounce it. Could you spell? Could you pronounce that for me again? <laughs> oh, Hanamikoji. Yeah. So what, what? What was it like? Did you like it? Oh, we. I got it for um, my birthday, and the funny thing about that game is the insert on the inside. When you take it out, has like. Disney wrapping paper on one side. <laughs> I don't know where. I don't. Yeah, very random. Very very random. Um, that is random. Right. Yeah. So Muse, tell me about Muse. So Muse is a um. It's real. It, I, it felt like Dixit to me. Um, okay. in just a different way. Um, so basically, it's a team-based game. Um, and the idea is each team takes turns providing the other team with a challenge. And the way the challenge works 
is we draw six basically Dixit. Like, you could play this game for the most part with Dixit cards, but they have, like, these abstract art images that are just, like, from Dixit or Mysterium or something like that. We pick one of those cards, my team does, um, and then we also draw off of, uh, we draw three cards off of a deck of quote-unquote inspirations. Now, those are basically questions that could be name a non-fictional fluid that you could find in a house, or name a non-fictional animal that you could find in a zoo, or name a tool or make a face, or make a stationary um, kind of position with your hands. Um, and then that's, you have to, I provide the picture and the clue to the other team, along with five other cards that I have, five new cards that I have shuffled. Um, and then you, um, on your team, one person is the muse, and they have to give a clue using that inspiration and get their team to guess the correct card. Okay. Um, and it is super challenging. Um, but it's a lot of fun. The pictures are neat. They kind of are all different genres. There's robots. There's fantasy scenes. There's, you know, but they're all wicked bizarre with lots of different interpretations. Um, and it leaves a lot of room for creative thought. And, you know, I talked to them. They actually play tested it with a bunch of little kids. Um, and yeah. the kids were actually able to play it, too. Um, so this is fine and mixed company. Um, largely because it's a team-based game, you know. Um, you know, if, if somebody doesn't feel comfortable, usually you go around taking turns being the muse. But if somebody doesn't feel comfortable, you don't have to, you know. I mean, at the end of the day, you're making the rules for your own game, too. Um, yeah. And it was a lot of fun. We did not complete a full game. We played like, you know, five or six hands. You usually play until one team has five that they have won. Um, but obviously we didn't play a full game. Um, it was fun. I mean, it plays virtually unlimited players. So um, it's like code names in that way. Like you could just, pl you could get a whole room playing this game if you really wanted. Um, mm -hmm. it, is be it does benefit from a little bit of a tighter setting. You know, like if you got like six people, uh, that was the demos that they were setting up, six players, and I thought that was really nice. Um, it was really cool. I like the pictures, um, you know. Um, it's coming out in January. It's available for pre-order now on their website. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, I mean, it was cool. Do you guys uh, ever play any of those kinds of games? Or does, I know the, that, that genre is not everyone's cup of tea. Like, we're not fans of code names, which in, for some people is like blasphemy of sorts. I mean, it's um, close to blasphemy for me. I'm curious, but we'll put a pin in that. I'll, we'll talk about why you don't like code names in a minute. It's yeah. not blasphemy because I'm fine with people not liking things, but I'm still curious because it's like the thing right now. So we'll talk about that yeah. um, briefly. Um, so um, what about games like Dixit or Mysterium, things like that? never played Dixit before, but Mysterium we like a lot, and the only way my husband really likes to play is if he's the ghost, and he makes a pretty awesome ghost. Um, he had had kind of an odd experience when it was taught at the library with some guy really alpha-gaming him, okay. and not trusting Matt's instincts, and Matt was correct, and they lost because this guy voted him down. Huh. So, that was unfortunate, but, um, yeah, never played Dixit before. I would 
probably would like it. The cute little bunnies. Little bunny meeples. And the artwork is beautiful. I don't know anyone who's ever said, oh, I don't like the artwork in Mysterium or Dixit. So. Yeah, no, I mean, they were pretty awesome. So, um, I'm a big fan of those. Now, um, what what other games did you uh, did you guys play while you were there? Well, um, it was really cool to finally connect with Jason Maselli, and so a local designer to both you and I, basically like between both of our where we live, where I live and where you live, um, who had the Kickstarter finished three four months ago, maybe yep. the Dead Man's Doubloons. In that area, yep. Yeah, um, and they had copies, like retail copies, non-Kickstarter copies there, and we got to sit down and play with him. So what did you, you think? Played, oh, we had a, I, we had a blast. Uh, we've been kind of haunting that table for a while. Every time we drove, we walked by, it was crazy busy. Um, yeah. All, all tables were full, full four-player games. Well, they had it set up for four players. Um. And I, um, Rob, from Pawn Perspective there, had been yep. promoting it a lot on his Instagram page. And it was good to sit down and play it. Very fun. Um, very, very fun. Yeah, I and played, different enough. I played the super, um, like, basically a step above index cards and Lego pieces prototypes. So like, <laughs> um, you know, the, the seeing the final version was pretty interesting. Um, you know, and obviously they made a whole bunch of changes. Those guys over at Thundergriff do some really good work. The art on that game is just astonishing. Um, it's so, awesome. so it's been a while since I've talked about it. So tell us, you know, tell the, the audience, you know, what, what like what, what was the, the game kind of like, how'd you play it? Uh, so, four players, and essentially you're trying to get from the base of the mountain or volcano. Sure. I think they're on the other side of the volcano, and you're moving along a path. You need map pieces to move. But in the meanwhile, you're moving your ship along the island, too, and blowing each other's smithereens, if possible. But it's a programming game, a la Colt Express or um, Dragon and Flagon. Um, where, you know, you, like in Colt Express, you can program something ahead of time, but really be, you know, shooting your ship cannon at the air, which to me always provides comical moments, too, when you're like, well, can't do that. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Uh, but the components are neat. The ships are really cool. Um, had a nice variety of player powers and According to the word on the street, everyone wants to be Pollyanna, the parrot. I don't yeah. know if Pollyanna was in the version you played. I mean, to be fair, Pollyanna is, like, Pollyanna did not exist at that point. But to be fair, Pollyanna is pretty rad <laughs> because, yeah. you know, it's a pirate parrot. Yeah, gotta have a pirate parrot. You can't get mad at that. I mean, I no. can't, at least. So, no. um, so... Uh, the did you play anything else over at Thundergriff, or was it just mainly the Dead Man's Doubloons? It was Dead Man's Doubloons. Yeah, we were pretty excited, and it's I like that moment when you play a game and you know exactly who you want to introduce it, it to. Yeah. So I yeah I have friends who have a pirate themed party every day every year uh, for Talk Like a Pirate Day. Okay. And I we finished, and I was like, ah. Oh, 
Crystal and Ted are going to love this game. Um, so that to me is always a really awesome moment when you know who will like it. Besides yourself. No, I absolutely, I agree with that. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it's, it's easy to kind of find your own stuff and, but when you find something for another person, like for me, you know, finding games when I, while I was there that I knew I would enjoy playing with my wife or with my kids, um, you know, especially when you just know and can like zero in on it right away. That is an awesome feeling. Um, yeah. and it's one that doesn't get talked about a lot in board gaming, right? Like a lot of people talk about what they like and, you know, but it's so hard to get game groups going and keep them going and keep people interested oh. in oh. playing games as a group. Cause board games is absolutely a social activity. Um, finding stuff that, you know, will click with multiple people, man, sometimes that's, that's like a grail moment, you know? It's- it's tough. Every month I put a group of games together and I go, well, we'll see if people like them. Yeah, we'll see. What did you find? Um, what did you find that you, you and your wife are going to play together? You and your kids are going to play together? So my wife and I, um, we play a lot of two-player games. Um, okay. So, like, you know, we like playing patchwork and stuff like that. We found um, it's a game called, well, she wasn't there with me. Um, she uh, regrettably uh, was not there. She would have liked to have come and, and played, I'm sure. Um, she was holding down the fort at home. Um, oh. But she, we're, I'm going to bring her to Gen Con, though. Uh, so uh, she'll, she'll get that. Yeah. That'll, that'll be yeah, her yeah. first convention experience. Welcome to uh, your worst nightmare uh, if you don't like crowds. But, hey, you know, whatever. Oh. Um, yeah. So, um, they, it was again at the quick, simple and fun booth. Did you guys get to see bubbly pop? I think it was right next to the game that you guys played there. Oh no, but I've seen some pictures on Instagram maybe of it. It's very cute. Um, it's a match three puzzle game, which is just absurd when you think about it. But, um, the reason I really dug it, um, is because man, is that game way deeper than it has any right to be. Okay. Um, essentially, you have two. It's a it's a game that is uh, five spaces across, um, and there is the sky, and then there's two worlds on either side of the board, um, and you are basically um, manipulating the bubbles full of aliens in the sky, and then dropping a pair of them um, onto your own planet, trying to make three in a row. And if you make three in a row, then you blow up all the ones of that color that are kind of connected, and then all the different colors have a power. Um, And so you earn... Basically, it's whoever has the most little, you know, bubbles, like, you know, whoever has completed the most... or captured the most tokens wins. Um, And this game is messed up in its, like, cutthroat, because there are certain powers that you can put together that, like, you can shoot... Um, your you know tiles that you don't want over to your opponent's board and mess up their plans. Um, and you can actually build these huge chain reactions, um, just like in any other kind of um, you know match three game that really kind of encourage deeper strategy, but still give you the ability to play if you are not um, you know if you're young or something like that. Um, so I actually pictured both my sons going bananas with this game and playing forever. Um, but the um, but I could also see my wife and I playing and like really getting deep into the strategy and just wrecking each other. 
Yeah, I'm looking at your picture that you posted. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm reading what you wrote, too. Um, so brutal. Every time I win or lose, I want to play again. So that's an excellent thing, though. Yeah. They, that, that moment when you're like, ah, I gotta try it again. I gotta let's do this right now. Um, that's a good thing, too. For good or bad reasons, you know? Yeah. I talked a lot of, and it is a great trash-talking game, um, which <laughs> I'm a big trash-talker. I'm, you know... In the right audience. Um, I talk a lot of junk. So that game is super perfect for that. So um, big fan of that. So um, were you there? So you were the, you got there midday on Friday. Um, yep. You were And you were there the whole time. Um, I know you went to one panel. You went to the see the shut up and sit down guys. Yeah. Who appear? It looks like, to me like that was like the biggest attraction out of any of the panels that I was aware of. Because, I mean, there was a pretty big line to get in there. I think it filled up. I think the auditorium there was full. I don't think they moved to standing room only, but it was a really good show. Um, are you fans? you guys fans of Shut Up and Sit Down? I'm aware of their existence, but I have not consumed any of their content. They're from Britain, right? From yeah, they can be, yeah, they can be sometimes family-friendly, sometimes not family-friendly. So you definitely kind of have to, if you're looking to enjoy their content with children, you'd have to almost like pre-watch yeah. and make sure that there wasn't fresh language or inappropriate content. Yeah. Uh, but so. it was, yeah, a very good, very, very good show. They talked a lot about Pie Town, which okay. I think... That was with really... Renegade, I think, right? Yeah, so, oh, uh, I have it in here somewhere. Cute, oh, you, super cute. You picked it up? Yeah, we're uh, you, you're looking at our uh, shelves back here. Yeah, we're shoppers. I'm actually not um, looking at your shelves because your webcam is not on. Oh well, that's so. Okay. If you've been gesticulating at me, I have no I idea. Have been. I have been. Okay, okay. that's kind of funny. Um, it's super cute the artwork, and you would think, oh, it's a kids game. No, it's like an evil, evil little game too. So yeah. it might be one. Where you you guys might like too, where you can spy on other people while they're making pies and um, try to guess secret recipes. Um, very clever. That's very very clever. They talked a lot about that. And then and that's coming out in December. It looks like. Yeah, um, and I think the price point was pretty good on it too, and it goes up to four. Um, and, of course, it makes you hungry for pie, right? Because everybody uh, needs that. I, I mean, everybody knows I enjoy some pie, so I'm pretty happy. With it. And this looks like a worker placement kind of game? Yeah, yeah. So, And it's the dice level up or level down with certain actions that you take. And the dice are really colorful and chunky. Um, even came with cute little boxes for you to put your secret ingredients for your secret, um, secret pie. I saw um, that. Yeah, very cute. Um, they talked a lot about Fog of Love, too. Um, so, yeah. almost intro RPG. Um, I'm interested, but I think you need to play with the right person. Not Also, definitely not for the younger set with Fog yeah. of Love. Um, for, those, for those listening, Fog yeah. of Love is essentially like a storytelling, a mutual storytelling game where you play out um, a romantic comedy with all of yeah. the trappings therein. 
Um, those who have know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. You know, not for the not yeah. for the younger set, but um, I love the art on that. I walked by. I actually watched it being demoed. Okay. Not close enough to hear people talk. I didn't want to interrupt their moment, but um, I love you know just just the d- design. I, I mean, art is probably the wrong word, but I love just the general design of the cards. Like I thought they were very clean, um, which is interesting considering how messy that whole process is. You know. Oh, um, having a. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I thought that was, I actually thought that was kind of interesting the way they did that, you know, being that, you know, relationships and romantic comedy specifically, uh, relationships are super complicated. Um, And the fact that there's like hidden information and hidden agendas. um, You know, I actually read the review for that game on Forbes um, and uh, the, it's a little clickbaity because they said that uh, it made her break up with her husband, um, but really she just meant that she was breaking up with her husband fictionally. Um, Yep. But I still thought it was, you know, pretty clever um, that that I got interested. (laughs) So it worked. Um, So, but I I definitely liked the clean lines on that. It was a neat, uh, it was a neat concept. I obviously didn't spend a whole lot of time uh, playing it. Now, here's the real question. Did you get a chance to play Stuffed Fables? I did not. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, your webcam is on, so I'm seeing your reaction, so that's kind of funny. I'm having a moment. Um, oh, I'm that sorry. game is so freaking good. No, we um, we didn't. That, I don't, where was it, though? Was it up front? It was up front near like Fallout and stuff. Okay. So That got really clogged. Yeah, it did. Um, I was rather grateful that I had an exhibitor badge because I was able to get in early and get in line to play that on Sunday, um, like 20 minutes early. Okay. Um, so I just arranged to go play, um, and I actually arranged to have, um, Christy from, uh, Peace Love Games... Oh yeah, and Rob from A Pawn's Perspective, and then some dude uh, came okay. and filled out the table, um, and we played. Um, I tried to find you. I ran around to see if you were coming through the entrance because I figured I could grab you or your husband. <laughs> um, okay, but but another dude came up, um, and they they filled the table. Um, but we were looking. I promise. Um, yeah. Man, I I can't talk about that game enough. I mean, and people that listen to the show have got to be sick about me, sick of hearing me talk about it. Um, but. Jen, it's so good. It's so good. This is one of those ones that I think you're going to want to have in the library. Like, if you can get them to send it to you. Um, Because, man, um, you know, what's cool about it is that it is a story. So, you know, a family could, like, take it and play through it, or a playgroup could take it and play through it, um, and, like, play through the story, and then they could give it back. And it's, like, it's not something where they would need to keep it forever. You know, they could get through it. But it's not, like, a legacy game, like, you know, Pandemic Legacy or something like that, that you you have to break the game in order to use it. Um, So, you know, it could be used more than once. Man, is it cool. That adventure book mechanic, the idea of using a spiral-bound book where on one side you have the the map or the art that you're using for your adventure, and on the other side is the the prepackaged text and things like that. The fact that they're on... That's just so rad. (laughs) It's so good. Okay. Yeah, I had to look up who it... I couldn't remember who published it. It's Plaid Hat. That's like their only big game of the year so far, too. Pretty Plaid much. Hat. Pretty much. 
Um, yeah. And that's fine for them. I think. I mean, yeah. well, no, I think they've got so, they've got like a Dead of Winter expansion, but for like yeah. new releases, yeah, this is their only one. But I think they're fine. Um, they just sold to Asmodee. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think. Yeah, within the last year, I they're think they're owned right? by somebody. So um, it could very well be that this is this might be it for them. I mean, who knows? I mean, they might do this and then dissolve. It's tough to really say, or be dissolved, um, because who knows what else Asmodee is going to do. I mean, as far as, like, big publishers go, like, I know what happens in the video game world, um, you know, and Asmodee is basically EA right now, so, you know, they'll either give them something to do, put them on making another Dead of Winter, or, you know, some more expansions, or maybe they'll just dissolve them, or combine them with another company, or something like that, which would be kind of tragic, but... You know, Jerry is going to find work no matter where he goes. He'll just go to another company or start his own. And um, You can't copyright mechanics, so he can just make something else with the adventure book mechanic now that they've done all the work. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so that's the... So overall, PAX Unplugged, um, what was your... If you were to give it an arbitrary grade, what would you give it? Um, I think probably a B plus. And if you ever talk to my husband about game ratings and how I rate things in life, I'm usually very conservative. Pretty stingy. I'm, I'm Pretty stingy. Super stingy. Like my favorite game of all time is like an eight point five. So, all right. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. So you're kind of the opposite of me. I'm like a hype man, um, but I would yeah. agree. I think this one is definitely like a B plus, A minus kind of thing. Um, the um, so. I agree. I'm in that neighborhood. I think it was great. I think it will only get better. Um, I think scheduling hurt it. Um, yep. So that is PAX Unplugged. Why don't we? T- why don't the two of us take a break, um, and then we will come back. And then I want you to explain this whole fancy board game borrowing operation you have at the library. Okay. All right. So, folks, we will be right back. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode 113 of Engage, a family gaming podcast. I'm still Steven, still joined by my special guest, the board game librarian, Jen. Um, And we're still talking about board games. So, um, Jen, you are a librarian at which library in Connecticut? So I work in Manchester, Connecticut, and I work at the main branch there. And I I this week switched from a... Circulation librarian to a reference librarian. Whoa. That's intense. Yeah. yeah, Is that a good thing? Well, it was a decision I made, so I could have not made that decision, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Um, so you bought a ticket for that ride is really what you're getting, is what you're getting at. I did, yes. It was a voluntary ticket that I purchased. Um, No, so... You were talking about the circulating games. Um, yeah, yeah it, it it really is crazy. Uh, Logistic wise, so here's some hard facts. Uh, it's a, roughly 140 games. I don't think anyone else in the state of Connecticut is circulating that many games. Yeah. Coventry, yeah. Coventry has a small smattering. New, not New Canaan. Um, out Western Corridor there. Uh, it'll come to me. 
um, there's a couple of libraries that are doing it, but not like this. I'm a go big or go home kind of girl. So sure. If I'm gonna do something, I'm doing it and I'm going all in. So the vast majority of these games came brand new in the shrink wrap from publishers. Yeah. Donated. Free. So we're talking like 125 games that I solicited. It's a lot. And we I totaled up how much the actual cost was if we were to go out and purchase them and it was I think close to three thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. Um so, we had to make space in the library for them to go out. We had rearranged some stuff and weeded. You know, it's kind of a natural process we go through. And finally, it was like, okay, we're, we're doing it. And a huge, huge, huge amount of work. I, I was so lucky I had helpers. I had three people who helped me do a lot of the packaging assistance in terms of, I had one woman who wrote down a comprehensive list on the inside box cover of what exactly is in every single game. So in something that's super complex, like Alchemists or Commands and Colors, yep. uh, that was a huge task. Everything got baggied and labeled on the baggie with Sharpies and then rubber bands, you know, barcodes and labels and rubber bands. Um, and then all of it on my back end of just getting it into our computer system. Okay. So we were able to get that done in two weeks, <laughs> which I don't know how we did it. I, it was crazy. It was just, it was like my sole focus for two weeks getting this done. Okay. Yeah, and some of it I had some of the work I had to redo because it didn't transfer over properly. So you can imagine my frustration level one day. That yeah. Was, so yeah. I mean, did you have to add them in to your system, kind of as though they were just books, or did you have to create a whole new thing? Or hi, in some case, well, so. About 85 of them were in a larger database, and I could pull the information over and just very cleanly add it. And then the rest, you know, another 55 or so, I had to do original work for, which is not fun. It's not fun. It's like boring, tedious librarian work. I mean, I don't want to bore people. Um, but it's just very minutia, detail-oriented, sure. which it's fine, but um, you got to count all, you know, if you're doing a legendary, you got to make sure all 500 cards are in there and say, well, there's 15 villain cards and 35 hero cards. And, sure. Um, so, and then it was just the kind of getting the collection going. How long are we going to let people take them out for? And what are we going to do when pieces go missing or what are we going to do if yeah. people don't turn them um, can people put them on hold can non-Manchester residents pick them up and check them out sure it's all kinds of logistical information that yeah you wouldn't necessarily think about yeah I mean this is so I mean from a project management perspective 
um, it really, you know, it feels like a super simple thing, right? Like when you think about it, it's like, oh, of course, you know, why not just, you just, it's just board games, right? Like until you think about all the extra stuff and the fact that, you know, getting these games likely wasn't easy. I mean, I mean, you had to ask, but, you know, it's not like that just happens. Um, you know, I mean, you had to do work there. Um, oh. You know, I mean, you've been profiled in, you know, the Hartford Current and I think some, at least one television news station and the most common, you know, obnoxious comment that I see is blah, 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 our tax dollars at work. But I mean, from what this sounds like, I mean, you, you didn't spend any money other than your time. Yeah. So yeah, there, that was like a Hartford Current, someone, some troll on the Hartford Current. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. Um, Yeah. So it, we came. We did end up purchasing a very small amount of games where we had like some gaps. Um, we bought Smash Up and Spyfall, Carcassonne, uh, a couple other things. You know, like basics that companies wouldn't send to us. And so that was maybe 180 bucks. Um, and so yeah, I mean the fact that we got almost $3,000 worth of stuff for free. Yeah, so it was, I mean, in terms of, you know, the snarky comment, taxpayer dollars at work, yeah, I was, you're paying me to do the work. Um, but that was an astronomical amount of work to begin with, even just two, two and a half years ago. That was a huge initiative, getting all the games to start with. Sure. Which, yeah, I don't know. People I mean, like that, don't yeah, even use the library to begin with. So yeah. they're not our target market. They're just trolls. Oh, I agree. Um, I just wanted to give you an opportunity, at least in what platform I have, to help debunk that. Because I couldn't comment on it because I'm not a Harvard Current subscriber. Um, uh, and they block comments uh, from anyone that's not a subscriber, which I was surprised by. I was too. Um, but... You know, what are you going to do? It was one jerk. Um, and I'm sure... So, y you've got it going. Um, how long have you had the games in circulation? Uh, it was the first Monday in October. So, it's been almost a full two months. I can't keep them on the shelf, Stephen. I mean, it's crazy. Um, I don't have hard data, but I mean, the Hartford Current, at that time, I did have some harder facts. And at that point, it was almost 100 circulations. Which is crazy for a collection of that size. If you're talking about, you know, 140 items that in a span of a month went out 100 times, that's crazy. That's a crazy number. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a huge turnover rate. I got one guy who comes to our program and says, you know, Jen, you keep saying you got 140 games, but where are they all when I walk in and I want to find something? I say, well, they're all checked out. Which is which is great. That's awesome. I mean, it is. Um, have you seen like a lot of like? So is it? Uh, is there you know like the typical customer uh, or patron? Uh, what do you what do you call people that use your library? Oh, patron. Patrons. Okay. Yep. Um, truth be told, I've never asked a librarian, despite the fact that I know one quite well. I've never asked you what you call people. Like <laughs> at GameStop, they refer to customers as guests. Oh. Um, and so, and uh, in uh, health insurance, they are referred to as lives. Interesting. Oh. Um, 
So, you know, one might have an employer group with X number of lives signing on, etc. Um, so I'm always curious what people call people. So, oh, yeah. So library patrons. So is there like a, like a, a I don't want to say stereotypical, but do you have like a typical patron? Are they, are they people in our demographic? How should we say nerds? Or do you have like families or like, it, does it run the gambit? In terms gamut, of rather. checking out the games? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually... So, the games for the longest time have been exclusively used just for the program once a month. And that was well and good, but I don't know, it was maybe this past May or June, I was like, what, what am I doing with them all? They're just sitting downstairs when they could be used by patrons all the time. Sure. So I talked to my boss and I said, well, let's see, let's see how it goes circulating them. And, you know, of course, there's the nightmare moment we have when we go, oh, no, we're going to have to count all of these pieces when they come back. <laughs> uh, so you kind of got to get past that and just accept it and swallow that pill. But... Yep. It, <laughs> The people who've checked out the games are not people who are coming to the group, which is good. Yeah. Um, in terms of access, that they're, you know, for whatever reason, maybe not able to come. Maybe they work. Maybe they have children and can't find a babysitter. Um, maybe didn't know about the group. Um, and that they can take them home for three weeks and enjoy them, you know, with family and friends, coworkers. And bring them back, and if they liked it, they did. They can maybe try it again by buying it or checking it out again, or if they didn't like it, oh, well. It's like no harm, no foul, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which is just super cool. I'm going to have to come down and and take a look. Although I guess there's sometimes I guess there's just not much to look at because if there's no games. Um, So... um, you know, has the has the response in the community been? I mean, it's. I mean, I guess if they're if they're moving, if you're moving product, um, it can't. the The response must have been pretty good. Um, but so, but just to ask the question, just to get it out of the way. I mean, has the community responded pretty well? Are you seeing people happy? Are people ignoring it? You know. Um, I think people are pretty happy. A lot of you know, I'm out there. We call it fluffing. You know, they say that in retail, too, where you're fluffing shelves and displays. Sure. You're putting more product out. So I'll, I'll be out uh, rearranging or moving things, you know, so something's in a better facing position than of another. And people will walk by and be like, wow. Or, you know, I had one woman who's a regular. She's a homeschooling mom. Sure. And she had seen me working on them, and... I had told her, all right, the first week of October, come on in. I know you're going to go crazy. And this woman went ballistic. It's like she needed, she had each of the kids who are not big with a huge stack of games. So she had two small children with a huge stack of games. <laughs> and then she had like one of those lands and tote things. And she was just stuffing she just them. She bananas. She was just stuffing them in there as fast as she could. <laughs> and she... I think they're having a very positive experience. So Great. That's that's really what the ultimate goal is, to make these experiences that people can have 
have positive associations with the library. I want them to be return customers, return patrons. Absolutely. Now, have you seen that people have been kind of coming in, getting the games, and maybe maybe they would might use other services while they're there? Like, is this kind of increasing utilization overall, or is this just a neat new thing that you guys do to engage with the community? Um, I think it's kind of both of sorts. I had a couple come in, oh goodness, maybe a month ago, and... For whatever reason, I could tell that they were out-of-town patrons, and that's great. Um, And so, I mean, that brought them to the Manchester Library for that reason. And, yeah, maybe getting people to stay a little longer. People aren't, like, checking the games out and then cracking them open and putting them on a table anywhere. Um, You know, in reference, setting up a game of playing. Would that be okay? I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't have any quiet spaces in our library, so... Yeah, that'd be fine. Sure. Okay. I'm cool. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... It's... Oh, it's been... It's been very positive. I, I, I like how the community has reacted to it. How it's... It's been a lot more families, too, which is excellent. Um... Because my group is for adults only, you know, we haven't been able to tap into families or have an outlet for family gaming. Um, so the fact that they can, families, you know, can check the games out is great. That, is, that has been really rewarding, actually. I've had a couple parents come up to me and say, hey, I have a 10-year-old who likes to play X, Y, and Z. What would you recommend? And that's very rewarding. Very, very rewarding. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Um, and I was wondering if that was uh, one of the things that would come up, um, you know, the idea of, you know, people kind of coming up and asking for suggestions. I'm betting that at least a couple people have looked at those games and be like, man, I guess it's not Monopoly, you know? Oh, oh I had one woman who, and I, I admire her, she was really, really, really getting into it. Um, she came up for to the reference desk for an unrelated question, and I got really excited. She had alchemists in her hand, and if you're not familiar with alchemists, it has a an app that goes along with it, um, but a super heavy, complicated game. And I kind of looked at the woman and I said, and I didn't recognize her as like a gamer. Sure. And I, I said, oh, I said, you know, do you guys play games a lot? And she said, oh, yeah, my my daughter, she's 10. She's very intelligent and likes playing strategic games. And I had her, you know, list off what they played. And it, it, was, a, it was a good moment. I said, oh, you know, in terms of how difficult this game is, this is like a 9 out of a 10. And she looked at me like, oh. <laughs> so did you, so you had an oh, honey moment? Oh, honey. Oh, honey. Well, of, of sorts, but so we, there's other logistical things that we can work out in terms of several staff members have talked to me about put, like putting dots on them, on the boxes. Sure. To indicate easy, medium, and hard. Sure. Um, just because, you know, I can't be around all the time to answer people's questions. Um, oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, I mean... The good news is not it doesn't cost them anything. If they take it home and they're like, whoa, this is hot garbage, I can't play this, um, they can give it back to you. Yeah. So, oh. I mean, there is that. 
Um, but you're right. I mean, what you don't want is somebody who's never played a board game before or who has played a couple themed games of Monopoly to roll in and get, you know, Twilight Imperium and then come home and be like, whoa. Oh, you know, yeah. Like, oh. And then that might sour them to the entire hobby, and nobody wants that. Um, exactly. Yeah. So um, as someone that deals with that a lot, you know, especially since we kind of cross mediums, you know, we deal with video games and the board games. Um, you know, I've spoken to my fair share of parents who, you know, their kids are doing the video game thing, but they want to try board games as like a social experience and they've never really played anything other than like, sorry. And I'm like, okay, so let's, let's, let's use some training wheels here first, because there's plenty of great games that are simple starter games. Um, yep. and having seen, you know, I looked at, I, I, I examined the photograph um, where you were Vanna Whiting your collection when it was in the Hartford Current. Um, and, I, I mean, I saw that you you certainly had a wide variety of stuff. So, I mean, there clearly was not going to be a problem, um, you know, kind of finding them something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Um, What's your favorite game in your collection? Oh, goodness. Um, one that I really, really, really... Well, we personally own it, but... I had a really neat moment with the guy who I contacted with was Twilight Struggle. If you're familiar with Twilight sure, Struggle. Sure. Um, it, so it's the it's GMT game and it's pretty heavy two-player Cold War card-driven mostly yeah. card game. And my husband and I had just played maybe our second game of it and it was really intense and I'd taken a picture of it and we got into, I attached this picture um, to the email of us playing it yep. and um, it was just kind of a back and forth moment that we had there and making that connection too oh absolutely and, you know, I think it's good for them too to know that people are playing their games and the experiences that they're having Oh, sure. I mean, my experience with some of the different PR people, I mean, a lot of them are so great. Um, I mean, they work in PR for a reason. Um, so, um, so how, I know I asked this before, but to refresh myself while I go on this train of thought, so how many games total do you have? About 140. That's a lot of games, man. Um, so um, so you're, you're a big fan of the Twilight Struggle. Um, so you're telling me what kind of games you like. I'm, I'm, uh, so... Um, what is? Do you have a couple examples of games that you, you kind of asked for and weren't really expecting to get very far that um, you were pleased that they were willing to help donate to the cause? Oh goodness! Oh, if I had my list in front of me, like um, your your big gets, as it were. Um, Gray Fox was really generous with what they sent over. Uh, I had kind of a conversation with him months before Gen Con last year and he said, oh, meet up with me at Gen Con and I'll give you a couple of games. And he just, like, ended up handing four or five games. Champions, The Midgard, Deception, Murder in Hong Kong. Um, oh, there's a couple others that are just escaping. Um, oh, um, Studying an Emerald, a Neil Gaiman-based book. Um, so that was really generous. Um, in a lot of the big companies, you know, Fantasy Flight, Asmodee, Dave Wonder, Enan, um, 
they're not big into donating to libraries for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Um, I'm looking around at my own personal collection. Um, the Osprey Games has been very generous with us too. Um, I talk a lot about them. And they have a really excellent entry-level dexterity game, which is awesome for families. It's called Zooball. I don't know if you heard about Zooball yet. Yet. I have not. Um, very, very unassuming game. It's animals playing like a game of soccer, and it's like an easy flicking game. So teaching like kids or someone who's never played a dexterity game before. Very easy rules. Um, and the artwork's kind of cute. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Renegade, very early on, was very generous. Um, yeah, Aries. Um, awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we're getting an opportunity to shout out some of them, so those of you listening, um, you know, head on over to some of those companies' websites and uh, provide them some patronage as a thank you to helping the Manchester uh, Library. So I think our time is is kind of coming towards a close. Um, I do really appreciate you taking the time to be on my show, um, Jen. So I know you are slowly moving in the direction of having like a regular podcast. When we spoke at uh, PAX Unplugged, you had said that you were kind of working on some of your formatting and still kind of feeling your way out. Um, do you have a final name yet? for your podcast we do um it's i don't i don't, I don't know how young your, your viewers are but and you can certainly feel free to edit this out booze books and boards um i think most of the people that listen to my podcast are at least aware of uh alcohol so i think that okay. is fine okay. um you're okay um okay. The, uh, so the majority of my podcast listeners are parents, so don't you okay. worry about that. They probably need to drink quite heavily, so don't <laughs> you worry about that. So um, you have two episodes so far. Are you on iTunes yet, or is that just all? I think you put it on Buzzsprout. Is Buzzsprout the name of it? Something Sprout. So what they need to do is Google the name of that podcast, or, for example, we will put it in the show notes, because I'm sure you'll send it to me. Uh, you'll find it and send me a link sometime by next by by Sunday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and we'll talk about having you on too. I think it'd be a nice segment on family gaming, sure. um, and kind of how you got into what you're doing too. Sure, I'd love to. That'd be great. So, yeah. um, folks, I do want to thank you for listening to our show this week. This has been episode 113. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. We'll find out afterwards whether or not Jen liked recording with me. Um, But uh, so until next time, folks, I do hope you have a wonderful week. Um, Don't forget to uh, leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe. And oh, by the way, we're giving away a switch. How could I have not talked about that? Uh, We have a big old giveaway going on. So go to engagefamilygaming.com slash giveaway. Um, and it's pinned on the top of our website and the top of our Facebook page. And, you know, go to those things, enter the giveaway because we're either giving away a Switch or we're giving away four gift baskets full of board games and swag. Um, and I'm sure who doesn't love free stuff? So uh, enter the giveaway, spread the word, etc. Um, but until next time, don't forget to get your family game on. We'll see you next week for some video game talk, folks. Bye now. Bye. Bye. 
podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week.